Reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 14, beginning at the 25th verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned to, and said to them, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower doesn't first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who will see it will begin to ridicule him. Saying this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to wage war against another king will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. This is the gospel of the Lord. May what I share be in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. When I say the words, this is the gospel of the Lord, um, what that basically means, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. That doesn't sound very good, does it, what I've just read. So therefore, none of you can become my disciples if you do not give up all of your possessions. Whoever does not hate father, mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciples. That doesn't sound good news, does it? Uh, either way that you read it, um, it's pretty stark. It's very hard. I know there are some relatives in our family that we sometimes don't want to be around or deal with, but taking it to that next level of hate is hard to fathom, isn't it? Particularly coming from the mouth of Jesus. Uh, but as we read through scripture, um, we are aware that Jesus is quite fond of hyperbole, that exaggeration for a point. But still, this is not a parable. This is fairly uh, confronting teaching for those who are traveling with him. So what are we to make of it? I uh, was pondering this um, Elroy uh, approached me on Sunday and said, oh, did you want me to do this Wednesday? Uh, it's a pretty tricky Bible passage. So I, I actually went, after she mentioned that, I, I had a look a little bit earlier than I normally did. Um, and yes, it is a tricky Bible passage. Um, I hope next week's a little bit easier for you, Elroy. Uh, but we, um, I was trying to wrestle with what did this mean in Jesus' time? I know for many of us, 
uh, if a family member was to come to us and say, well, I've decided to follow Jesus, it would bring great rejoicing. Many of us do pray for those close to us to become Christians. And so when that happens, there would be great rejoicing. But imagine what it was like in Jesus' time for somebody to come home and say, I've decided to follow Jesus. It would be a little bit like us in today's world having one of our family members come home and say, oh, isn't it exciting? I've decided to join a cult. There'd be great rejoicing, wouldn't there? And I think that's probably the closest that I can come to trying. It wasn't an under, another religion. It's, um, it's not like somebody coming home and they were saying, oh, well, I'm going to join one of the other big world religions. There would have been plenty of people in uh, that Judeo-Roman, Judeo, um, Greco-Roman culture who would have flip-flopped, and we see this in the Old Testament, lots of time when they flip-flop between the other world religions um, or no religion at all. Uh, but an extremist cult is probably the closest thing that I can come to understand what it might have been like for those who were traveling with Jesus when they finally got home and told their mother, father, their brother, their sisters, or their wife, or their child, that they've met this guy called Jesus and they've decided to change their life. It would have been radical. And it would have potentially broken relationships. When we think as Jesus followers, particularly uh, in the seven years I've been here, that we've really tried to prioritise relationships. We haven't really thought about breaking relationships as part of that uh, process. Have we? We've been trying to build relationships and make relationships with people. I think in the Western world, as we have been able to benefit on the sacrifice of those early followers of that early church, we have become less aware of the cost of discipleship, particularly in those early days. That those early followers of Jesus would have had to potentially give up everything that they had. <clears throat> Quite possibly, when the son comes home to his father and says, Dad, I'm becoming a follower of Jesus, he would have been disinherited. So he would have lost all his possessions. Nothing left. Get out of the family, you're not one of us. And that's what makes the parable of, of um, the prodigal son so profound in that culture. If, if a son had done what that younger son did, they would have been disinherited just for asking the question, can I have my inheritance now? I um, heard um, Nikki Gumbel at the beginning of the pandemic uh, make this, or a comment, I'm paraphrasing, I'm sure, he would have said it much more eloquently than I am, that we are realising 
the price that we have to pay as a society to save lives in the time that we are living in. And it does make me wonder whether we're going through this pandemic, uh, we have an ability to start to become more aware of the cost of our faith. It does cost you more to come to church now. You have to either jump online and register. It's much harder than actually just turning up when we feel like it. It actually is physically costing us more to put on church services than it used to. For many of us, the cost of living has increased in the last six months because of all the things that we've had to do. I'd hate to add up um, the hand sanitizer bill uh, for uh, the Rabina area, let alone um, globally, of how much people are spending on that uh, type of resource. But as we're contemplating these types of costs, I wonder if we can contemplate the cost of discipleship. On um, Sunday, we celebrate, celebrated All Saints Day where we think about the cost that the saints of the church, both those recognised and those unknown, the price that they have paid for the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Many with their lives. I do pray fervently that in our generation that that type of cost will not be asked of us. But I do know, and I've been humbled over and over and over again throughout my life, that following Jesus isn't just costing us an hour on Sunday or half an hour on a Wednesday. It's daily dying to ourself. The life that we would like to build for ourselves I uh, was watching a show uh, last night with Leanne and um, a young man was saying, it was a reality show, oh, you've been on my vision board for years and I finally got to meet you. And I turned to Leanne and I said, you know what our problem is? We've never had vision boards. <laughs> but our vision board is Jesus Christ. And I know many of the world, those in our world today spend lots of time trying to map out their life to the nth degree. I know uh, many students at the moment are, are going through exams and firmly in their mind is an outcome and a life that they want to build. But I'm sure uh, all of us gathered here uh, this morning and those watching later will know that life happens very differently to what we plan. And it will come at a cost. And it's a cost that sometimes might seem impossible to bear. But the good news is that the reward of a relationship with Jesus Christ always far outweighs the cost. So from my um, economic and commerce studies, we are always 
in surplus. Knowing that God is always with us to help to meet the cost that we are asked to bear. One of my uh, favourite passages is from uh, to Samuel where David is asked uh, by um, somebody close to him uh, to receive a gift that he might give as an offering. So it wouldn't have cost David anything. He'd just received this gift from somebody who wanted to win favour and David would make the offering to God and it wouldn't cost him anything. And these great words of King David, I will not bring anything before my God that has cost me nothing. Do pray that we realise that the legacy that we've inherited from the saints throughout the ages has been costly. And yes, indeed, we are going through costly times now. But we have the sure and certain hope of the resurrection, a reward that far outweighs the costs that we are prepared to bear and asked to bear. I do pray that it doesn't come at the cost of family breakdown. But I do pray that when we are asked to give an account of the hope that is within us, that we might readily testify that Jesus Christ is Lord and that we are living in a hope that is imperishable. Amen.